all those songs are amazing. Um, it's just such a blessing to have um, so many people who are talented and uh, to be able to lead us like that. Um, as we transition, I want to take a little bit to uh, talk about babies. Um, thankfully, babies are really cute. Um, because if they weren't, the human race would have gone extinct long ago. Um, they're just very difficult. Um, I only have one, and uh, she's terrible sometimes. Um, she's very needy. Uh, they come out not being able to do anything for themselves other than cry, and uh, they constantly need something from you, uh, day or night. It's Thankfully, they're cute, though. Um, they are very adorable. Uh, this is my daughter, Sadie. I still think she's the cutest thing to walk the planet. But um, they uh, thankfully start to, to grow up and do things on their own. Um, like they can sit up and they can, um, they can eat Cheerios on their own. They can pick them up with their, their fat little fingers. They, they don't really know how to pick up one, so they'll grab a handful and just shove as many as they can get in there. Um, they start to do things like that on their own. They begin to walk and and they learn that they can kind of do whatever they want or go wherever they want to go. Um, and so they, they, or at least that's what they think they can do. Um, so they start to, to do a little bit more exploring, get themselves into a little bit of mischief. Um, those are Kleenexes in there, by the way. I don't know if you could tell all over littered on the ground, all Kleenexes. It was a full box um, that she pulled every one of them out. But how do you get mad at that face? Um, she's pretty cute. Um, but. Uh, they begin to develop a personality, they get a little bit of an attitude, um, and then uh, before long they're going to school, um, and then eventually they start driving and oh, dating, um, and then you blink and they're married. Of course, you know, that's what I've heard. Um, but when we as people, we know that we, we grow up and we, we learn so fast uh, as as you go from, if you have little siblings or, or nieces and nephews, or um, there's a few parents in the room, um, and you've seen, uh, some of you have seen Sadie from when she was a tiny baby. Um, you see, they, they grow up really quickly, and um, we go from knowing essentially nothing to being able, and being able to do nothing, um, to carry on conversations and, and learn facts and rules, and, um, and then they start to read and write, and, um, we grow up so fast because our bodies were designed to do that. We were designed and created to be learners. Um, and sometimes we learn by experience or by mimicking other people um, or by being taught in schools. Um, God created us to be learners by nature. Um, and as we learn and we grow, we begin to mature. Our interests change. Our, our sense of humor changes. Um, we desire to be more adult. Um, you know, and then you reach a point where you want to go back. <laughs> you want to you unlearn all that stuff and be a kid again. Um, but instead of talking today about our, our natural growth as humans, um, I want to talk to you about um, how we grow as Christians. How do we grow and mature as believers? Um, if you are a believer in Christ, you are expected to grow. I hope that's not the first time that you've ever heard that. Um, but how do we go about doing that? And so today... I want to look at three aspects of Christian maturity um, in the book of Titus. So if you want to get your Bibles out or open up the, the app on your phone um, to the book of Titus, we're going to spend most of our time there um, looking at um, not how we develop as, as individuals, but how we develop as Christians. 
um, I think we have a pretty good idea of how um, individuals grow up. Um, doctors and teachers have identified certain uh, benchmarks where people need to be hitting, um, children need to be hitting as they grow, and things that we ought to be able to do. Um, the question for us today is, how do we, as believers in Christ, mature? How do we, as Christians, grow in our faith? Um, what does this type of maturity look like? Um, how do we work towards it? How do we measure that? Um, it, who do we look to uh, to help us grow? Uh, there are a lot of factors in maturity that we could look at, and there are several passages we could go, but as I mentioned, I want to be in the book of Titus today, and I think that there are three fairly clear things um, that we can pull from this, um, and maybe you're already there, but the first thing I want to look at is the objective of Christian maturity, the objective of Christian maturity. What's the goal? Uh, what are we shooting for? Um, and just for, because we're not, we're not spending a lot of time in Titus, I want to give you just a quick overview of, you know, what our situation is here. Um, the Apostle Paul is writing the book of Titus to um, someone he calls his true child in verse 4. Um, he calls uh, Titus his true child, and we learn from verse 5 that after visiting and planting this church, Paul left Titus in Crete. Um, that's, that's where Titus is ministering. It's a little island off the, uh, off the, the coast of Italy, right? Crete? Crete. I'm not very good at ge uh, geometry. I'm clearly not good at geometry. <laughs> or geography. <laughs> oh boy, Whew. good start. Um, it's, it's a little island. Paul left Titus there, and his main task in verse 5 we see is to set up elders, right? And so if we're talking about the, the concept of um, Christian maturity, uh, I think it's best that we look to um, elders as our, as our example um, and what we ought to be doing. Um, and so... Uh, Paul outlines what Titus is to look for in elders to lead this church. Ideally, Titus would not be doing this all on his own, and that's why Paul is instructing him to find others to come around him to set these people up. Um, and then he is to basically set them up to continue this discipleship cycle to then raise up other elders who can replace them uh, eventually. And so Titus's purpose was to identify these people, to raise them up. Um, and so as we consider our context uh, today, Christian maturity, what should be our objective? What should be the goal of discipleship? What are we looking to accomplish when we're um, going through this, this process of spiritual growth uh, and Christian maturity? So I believe that every Christian's objective should be to become an elder, to become a person who could be an elder, to become someone who's going to be a Christian leader in their church. Someone who other people can look to and aspire to be like. Uh, because ultimately, that's what the, the, the elders desire. The person who's a, a mature Christian, their desire is to be like Christ. And so if your desire is to be like Christ, then you'll want to be like those people who are becoming like Christ. Who are, who are already living those things out. They're steps ahead of you. So I'm saying that your and my goal should be to live in such a way that spiritual maturity it is in such a place when you get older that you could be an elder. You could be a church leader, okay? I'm not saying that you all have to be, be able to aspire to that or, or even that you all should necessarily because some of you might not want to or, or not be able to. Um, but your goal should be to emulate those characteristics, those personality traits. Um, 
So I'm going to read Titus chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. This is essentially, in your Bible it might say something similar, qualifications for elders. Um, so we have that in the back of our mind that that's what we're looking at, but think about how these things would look in your own life. Okay, I'm going to read Titus 1, verses 6 through 9. It says, If anyone is above reproach, a husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as it is taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. This is essentially um, a summary of what um, these people should be like, these, uh, these older believers, their maturity, what they should look like. But especially in verses uh, 6 and 7, there's a couple of phrases that function as summary statements. It says that they're to be above reproach, not open to a charge of debauchery or insubordination, um, some sort of uh, activity that would be considered unchristian, ungodly, sinful. Um, Someone whose life is so pure, so blameless, that nobody could even bring a charge against them. That's the people that, that Titus is looking for. That's what we should be looking for, is are we living a life that is unable to have some sort of accusation thrown at us? Are we living in that way? That should essentially function as our summary statement. That's what we should be seeking to, uh, to live like. We should always be living in a manner that honors the sacrifice of Christ. Uh, in Colossians 1.22, it says that even though we are separated from Christ and complete enemies, uh, doing evil things that contrast with his sinless perfection, picking up in verse 22, it says, He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Paul is going on to say in this back in Titus, he's going on to say that the believer's job, or I'm sorry, this is still in Colossians, the believer's job is to continue in steadfastness. We are always to be seeking to honor God, to honor Christ and his sacrifice continually. It's not just that, that one-time setting where in verse 22 it says he has reconciled, past tense, in his body of flesh in death, right? We are made righteous, we are made blameless before God one time, but also, after verse 22, he continues on to say that we should continue in steadfastness, should continue to live blamelessly. So we're, we're made blameless in the, the sacrifice of Christ before God, but we're also to live blamelessly before men. There should never be a time where someone could come and bring an accusation against you for some sort of um, sinful lifestyle or some sort of sinful action or attitude. Um, we are always to be carrying ourselves worthy, in a manner worthy of the name of Christ. So back to Titus now. We see Paul is bouncing back and forth. I've even, in my Bible, labeled, labeled with a plus or minus, whether these are positive or negative. He kind of goes back and forth, if you'll remember. He you know, talks about being above reproach and, and having uh, children that are, um, that are uh, believers as well, but not open uh, to a charge of debauchery. Um, you want to be a steward be above reproach, but you don't want to be arrogant. So he's kind of bouncing back and forth, but as he does this, 
um, you can kind of think of these, uh, these positive attributes, uh, being hospitable, one who loves good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined, as being regular, ongoing things that you should be constantly pursuing. They should be uh, a life uh, desire, something that constantly makes up how you live. But also the negatives. It's not being arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard, violent, greedy for gain. Uh, we're to understand that these are also to be uh, things that we see in our lives regularly. They're ongoing. It's not just a, a one-time positivity or one-time uh, avoidance of it. It's constantly um, fighting against these things. As sinners, we are going to struggle with sin. As, as fallen people, because we are born in sin, we are going to struggle with sin. We're going to deal with the consequences of a fallen world. Um, but it's a fight. That's the key word, struggle. You're fighting against it. Um, let me just say to you that you might be right now dealing with a sin struggle. You might be going through something in your life that is um, negative. You might be fighting against that. You might feel overwhelmed by your sin, like it's taking over your life, like it's something that is it's a, it's a cloud that overshadows everything that you do. But Satan is always trying to remind us that um, before we fall into a sin, before we get into it, he's, he's trying to, to trick us into believing that repentance is easy. He, he thinks that if, if I can get you to sin, you can repent. Just do it, and then you can repent. It'll be over. But then after that sin, he tricks us into thinking that repentance is impossible. That now that you've committed that, God doesn't love you anymore. You can't, um, you can't come back from this. This is going to be something that you will always deal with. You'll never get over this. You'll never get past it. Don't believe those lies. Don't listen to that. When you do fail, when you do sin, you can come back. You can repent. God is always listening to the repentant cries of believers, to the repentant cries of unbelievers. He's always listening to that. You're never too far gone. So just because this is the goal, just because all of these things are the goal, you might not fit all those. You don't. I don't. No one perfectly fits any of these things. Just because you fail doesn't mean that you need to give up forever. You can come back. You can repent. Struggling is fighting against those temptations for the purpose of victory. Fighting against those things is what spiritually mature believers do. We fight. It's a daily fight. Um, it's hard work. But doing it on your own is even harder. Um, trying to do these things alone um, nearly impossible. You need accountability. You need people to help train you, to give you the tools to fight against these, uh, these sin habits, because they can become habits. You need other people. So the second aspect of Christian maturity I want to talk about is the method of maturity. How do we go about it? We know what, we know what the objective is. We know what we're looking for. It's all of these characteristics that are positive and negative. We don't want to be like this. We do want to be like that. We know what we're looking at, but how do we do that? We don't, as, as individuals, as people, we don't grow up on our own. We need people to teach us that touching hot stuff is bad, um, that um, you need to eat food <laughs> to be healthy. 
You need to eat vegetables, even though you don't want to, to be healthy. You need someone who's training you and teaching you. But spiritually, we need the same thing. We need people to tell us what food we should be eating. Uh, we need people to help us to grow. We need spiritual parents. Several times in scripture, immature believers are compared with newborn babies. In 1 Peter 2, uh, verses 2 and 3, the apostle says, Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. When babies are born, they can only eat milk. Uh, that's, that's enough to satisfy them and to help them grow and to mature. Um, but at a certain point, they have to start eating real food. They have to start eating meat and eating vegetables and eating fruit. Um, and if they don't, they're going to start, they're going to stop developing and start um, having problems. They're going to have issues that develop because of it. The same is true spiritually. We are supposed to grow out of that spiritual milk. We're going to need deeper, more rich, more meaty things. And, and the Apostle Paul rebukes the Corinthian church because they had not matured. Um, so where, where Peter is saying you need the pure milk, Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 3, because of, of what he knew these people knew and what they should be able to do, he says um, in chapter 3, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. And even now you're not ready for it, for you are still of the flesh. So he identifies that he gave them the milk and he said, okay, now you're ready, but you're not. You should be, but you're not there yet. So we see again that we're supposed to grow out of that, that phase of being not spoon-fed milk. You don't really spoon-feed milk, but bottle-fed milk. We don't need that anymore. You need to grow up. So he's chastising them because they're still living by the flesh. The milk wasn't enough to get them, get them out of it. They didn't grow through it. They didn't develop. Because they had not developed more spiritually, they weren't ready. It's the responsibility of those who are older to parent baby Christians, to come to their aid, to, to, to show them what they need to know. Um, so what does it look like for someone to parent another person spiritually? Um, it looks like 2 Timothy 2, verse 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's verse 1. Um, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. It looks like the Apostle Paul coming along his child, Timothy, he calls him, his beloved son, coming beside Timothy and teaching him. He gave him the spiritual milk first and then the meat. And now he's saying, okay, now you go out. You start training other people. And then you train them to be able to train other people. It's a process. It's a discipleship process. We're, we're making disciples, as, as Jesus calls us to in Matthew chapter 28, teaching them. To obey all that I have commanded you. That's part, of the, that's part of evangelism. That's part of discipleship. You have to go out. Give them the gospel. Once they've accepted it, you teach them. You train them. And then as they become more mature, they become able to train others also. And this is the process that we see back in Titus. If you'll turn your attention back there in chapter 2. I'm skipping a little bit. Um, but chapter 2, this, this is a thread throughout the book of Titus that I'm trying to pick up on. Um, I'm going to read verses uh, 1 through 8 of chapter 2. It says, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be 
reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slave to much wine. They're to teach what is good. And so, this is what I want you to pay attention to, older women, so train younger women. Train them how to love their husbands and their children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. That word of God, that the word of God may not be revealed. Likewise, older men, he's jumping back. Likewise, older men urge younger men, be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity and dignity. And sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opportunity may uh, an opportunity, sorry, that an opponent may be uh, put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. This is, we see again, more general commands to these older, these older believers. First, talks about the older men live this way, older women uh, live in this fashion. Um, but then uh, we see a shift. Older women train the younger women in verses four and five. And then he shifts back again. Older men train the younger men. And notice that these are gender specific because only older women know what younger women need. Older men know what younger men need. Older women understand the, the trials, the difficulties that younger women have. Older men understand the failures and the, 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 the troubles, the temptations that younger men have. They understand that. So look to them. Look to someone who's older in the faith of your gender because they understand. I want you to take a second and look around the room. Look around. What do you see? It's a lot of college students. There's a few older people, but generally, it's mostly college students. I'm looking at you two. <laughs> just kidding. Um, there's a lot of just college students in here, right? So if you're looking for someone who's older in the faith to look up to, in here might not be the best place. You need to look to someone who knows what you're, what you're going to deal with in the next stage of life. Your friends might be helpful because they've made some decisions. Uh, they've, uh, your community group leaders have probably gone through a few things more than you have. Um, or maybe they, uh, they have failed and they want to help you out, right? That's good. Um, but somebody who's three, four, five steps ahead of you is going to kind of see the end of that. They have already, have already dealt with it. Some of your friends might still be dealing with some of these things. So you need accountability from someone who's moved past that. They've already made their decision for who they're going to marry. Now they've lived 10 or 15 years with that person. They understand that it's really hard. So when you're dating somebody, don't ask your boneheaded friend if they think it's a good idea. They don't get it. Look at older people. They've made their bed. Now they've got to sleep in it. No pun intended, though that was good. <laughs> I do say so myself, I guess. <laughs> you need to look at older people. Sorry, I'm off my soapbox now. I'll move on. You need to find somebody with wisdom and life experience if you want to grow spiritually. If you want to grow to be spiritually mature, you need a spiritual parent. Typically, those people are going to be older than you. They're going to be wiser. They've, they've lived some of those experiences. But that's only possible through the transforming presence of the Holy Spirit. And that's the last thing we're going to talk about, is the foundation. 
of Christian maturity. The foundation of Christian maturity can be found in verses 11 through 15, and I'm going to read those for us. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, and instead to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority and let no one disregard you. That's our hope. That's what all of this is founded on, is what Jesus Christ has done. And this section acts as this support for everything that he's just said. It acts as as something that comes behind it, and he's essentially saying, you do these things, you do discipleship because of the salvation you have through Christ. You have the Holy Spirit living within you now. You need to renounce these worldly things. You need to renounce the former passions you had as an unbeliever, and you need to renounce the sinful flesh and live lives of obedience and self-control. Without the controlling work of the Holy Spirit, we would be, as Paul says in verse 12, living ungodly lives and controlled by worldly passions. Consider the original audience. We kind of skipped over it here, but consider the original audience here. Titus was receiving this on the island of Crete, which we don't know where exactly it is, but it's somewhere in the Mediterranean, I think. Pretty sure it's the Mediterranean. He's receiving this in the island of Crete where the people were known, as, as Paul describes them in verse 12 of chapter 1, as liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. How would you like to be called liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons? That's your people! That's what the, Cre- the Cretans, if you're familiar with that term, that's what they were known as. He's, he's referencing not someone else calling the people of Crete um, these things. It's a Cretan prophet, he says. He's quoting a Cretan prophet who's talking about other Cretan people as being evil beasts, liars, and lazy gluttons. So evidently, it was fairly true if it made it into the, the New Testament. But these wicked people uh, were people that Paul believed could be changed through the power of the Holy Spirit. He believed that these people were able to become elders of their church, leaders of their church. He believed that they could reach that status. So if if that's where they started, the Holy Spirit could totally change them, totally revolutionize them. We never should underestimate the power of the gospel, the power of the work of the Holy Spirit. Think about it. If it's changed you, it's changed you. Consider yourself. Before Christ, you are just as much capable of being a liar, evil beast, and a lazy glutton. Sometimes even after Christ. But he believed that they were capable of living lives that were righteous and holy in the midst of an ungodly age. Even so, we are capable of living lives that are righteous and godly in an unrighteous age ungodly age. Ultimately, we believe, as Paul states in verses 13 and 14, that we have hope. We have hope in the future appearing of Christ, 
that he is going to fully and finally redeem us from this sinless state and this sinless world. Christ will come again and restore creation to its former glory, to what it was intended to be. But until that time, we're tasked to continue to fight against our sin natures. They're still living within us. We still struggle. We still fight. And there's a wicked world around us that's trying to break in and and entangle us and change us. And we have an evil one, Satan, who is attempting to distract and destroy us. So as we close, I want to consider how are we supposed to fight against these desires within us, against the pressures of this outside world that's trying to pour into the church. We've identified these, these aspects of maturity as the, the objective of kind of what we're looking for and how we're maybe supposed to do it some, but you might, sh- might be unsure what that looks like or how we're supposed to pursue maturity. What do you do? How do you start? Where do you go from here? If you are looking at yourself and you're saying, I need this, what should you, what should you do next? Um, you know that you need to grow. Uh, you've been trying to grow on your own maybe, Um, You've been reading the Bible, listening to a lot of sermons, or maybe you've been spinning your wheels trying to figure out how to to get to the next level or try and understand more. Or maybe you just kind of resigned yourself to believe that there isn't more, um, that this is kind of it. There's really not not anything better. This is enough. Um, Or maybe uh, you just don't know enough and you need to spend more time getting to know God. Let me tell you, trying to do it on your own is not going to work. You'll only get so far, even with listening to sermons and trying to build build yourself up that way um, and learning on your own, you're only going to get so far. Um, But you don't have to settle for a second-rate Christian experience. You don't have to settle for that. You can grow. you um, You can have more. And the first thing I want you to do is make sure that you're building on the right foundation. We just finished talking about this, right? It's the gospel. You need to make sure that you're, you're building on this, uh, this properly. Um, you, you, can, you can maybe get involved in some things at church, but if you're not checking your own motives and, and trying to make sure that you're doing these things for the right reasons, um, you're probably not building on the right, right foundation. Just because you, you do some things doesn't mean that it's causing you to grow. Um, you need to ensure that you're spiritually alive. There are probably some people in this church, um, there are maybe even people in this room that aren't spiritually alive. They're not building on the right foundation. You're doing these things. You're coming to church because you feel like you have to. Um, that's kind of the Bible Belt's thing, right? We go to church on Sunday. It's the Lord's Day. So maybe you're doing these things for the wrong reason. Maybe you don't even understand why you're doing it. This is not going to work. You're not going to be spiritually mature. You're not going to grow if you don't have Christ in your life. If you aren't building on the foundation of the gospel. You need to become alive. A spiritually dead person can't grow. You need to become alive through the gospel. You need to believe that Christ came and lived a life that you can't live. That he died paying the penalty that you can't pay. And that he rose again defeating death. If you believe that, you can become spiritually alive you can grow so once you're born again you need to make sure that you're focused on the the right goal Um, don't get sidetracked by side quests okay the idea of reading the bible and praying every day 
Those are good things, but that's not the end. Those are means to the end. That is not the end. Reading your Bible in a year, praying for two hours a day, or perfect church attendance, those are good things, but they're not what your goals are. The true goal is spiritual growth. It's what we've looked at here in this passage. Um, these things are just a, a byproduct of spiritual maturity. When you do them properly, it's a byproduct. You're going, to, you're going to want to read the word more. You're going to want to pray more. You're going to want to spend time with the people of God. That's uh, what comes as a byproduct of spiritual growth. But if you're, if you're not doing it for the right reason, you might be just checking a box. That's not going to give you spiritual growth. You're going to read your Bible in a year, but what will you know of your Bible in that year? If you just kind of read through it and then, you know, put your Bible on the shelf for the rest of the day and didn't really think on it, check your box, you're done. You read it, but did you understand it? Do you believe it? Did you interact with it? So you want to be focused on knowing God, loving God, and serving God. And as you do that, these things are going to, they're going to cause you to grow in spiritual maturity. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> Reading your Bible, praying, and church attendance is very important. But if that's your goal, you're missing it. It's not going to help you. It's not going to cause you to grow. So you need to check your motivations. Try and understand why you're doing it. Are you doing it because you need to fulfill your Christian duty? Are you doing it because you love God? You want to know him more. You want to serve the church because of it. Only you and God know those things. I can't look out here and, and understand why you guys are here. But God knows. And so make sure you're focused on the right objective, the right goal. And then lastly, if you want to grow in maturity, you need a spiritual parent. You need to seek someone out who is going to help you to grow. It might be your physical parent. You might have a parent who, who loves you and wants to, um, wants to help you to grow in that way. Um, but maybe even if you do have a godly parent who is spiritually mature and wants to do that, you might feel weird about confessing um, some of your sins to that person. You need to find uh, another older person that might be easier to talk to about some of your sin struggles. Um, now, I want to say that these commands here are to the older believer. They're to older people to seek out younger believers, to seek out people who are spiritually immature and help them to become mature. But that doesn't mean that you can't go seek it out yourself as well. Because as a spiritually mature person, what would be better than having a college student who loves the Lord and wants to grow in spiritual maturity come up to you and say, I want to be like you when I grow up? What's better? So if you've got someone in mind, go ask them. Go talk about it. See if they're willing to help you. See if they're willing to come alongside you and train you like Paul did to Timothy and Titus. Look for those people. If you don't have somebody in mind, come talk to me. I'll help you find somebody. I might not be the right person, but I can help you find them. Come talk to Liz, Nate, Courtney, anybody, any adult in here, maybe even your friends. Some boneheaded friends have good ideas sometimes, okay? I was a boneheaded friend. I didn't really have that many good ideas, but seek out somebody. That's what you need. You need a spiritual parent to help you navigate this growth. Navigate this world where you still have a sinful nature growing within you, or sinful nature within you, while you're still trying to grow as a, as a believer. So then I want to ask you, are you satisfied? Are you satisfied with where you're at? Um, 
Maybe you are doing all these things. Maybe you're doing everything for the right reason and you are growing. Maybe you already have a spiritual parent. Praise the Lord. That's amazing. That's what we want. That's the goal. Maybe you're already on the trajectory of spiritual growth. Keep doing it. Keep growing. Don't get sidetracked. But if you feel like you've been in the same place for a long time, um, if you feel like you're not growing or you're spinning your wheels on your own, um, or maybe you've just given up, I'm going to ask you, do you want more? Or are you satisfied with where you're at? Because even if you are on a spiritual a trajectory of spiritual growth, don't be satisfied. You always want more. You always want to grow more. Sometimes it's, it's not good to be not satisfied, right? Content in where we are. But in growth, you don't want to be content. You want more. You should want to grow more. That's a good thing. Grow. Decide to do this for yourself. So I want you to think. You don't have to answer to anybody. Do you want more? Do you want to grow? If you do, talk to somebody. Any one of the leaders in here, um, we can help you. We want to help you. That's why we're here. We want to help you grow. Let's do it together. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful that you have not left us on our own. You've given us the Holy Spirit. You've given us words uh, from your mouth to communicate truth to us so that we can know what you want. You want us to grow. You don't want us to be satisfied with a second-rate experience. You want us to love you more every day. You want us to not be satisfied with the level of knowledge that we have. You want us to continually grow. So help us all to encourage one another to do that. Help us to seek out others that are going to help us to do that. Help us to look for spiritual parents. We pray for spiritual parents. We ask that you would bring them here. Um, or you would, you would uh, make it apparent to them to come to some of these students to build relationships. Lord, we thank you that we have such an amazing church that has so many spiritual parents and so many people who want to grow. Lord, we pray that you would connect these, that you would help us all to desire you more. We pray it all in the name of Christ. Amen. All right.